again, just thank you all for, for coming, for financially sewing into that, but also just giving your time. I know um, you've all come at different stages in different contexts and even just praying over the place. But um, it has, yeah, it was a nice building, but, you know, when you want to journeyify it and you realise, you know, pulling off the the data rail and the wallpaper that was purple and you thought, well, we're not quite early 2000s, you know, we want to modernise it. So it's becoming on really well. There's not up-to-date photos they, well, that's the building there. So if you're driving down the Strangford Road and you're new and you don't know where you're going, just look for, well, the blue's gone, but they're still custard. So look for the custard building, okay? It will be going, okay? Now, it's a bit more up to date on that. Actually, you must have taken recent photos, did you? I will. Look, at it's even better since then, you know? So, um, yes, there used to be, you can actually see the line. Now, I couldn't sleep knowing that that wee line where the data rail was. So I got the plasters in to overcover it. I know I'm OCD, but... I sleep better at night, and uh, there's, that's going to be a kid's room, so I know there's one screaming there now, hopefully with the brick walls you'll not hear them, um, and then again, I don't know what else is coming up because Thomas has grabbed those, but look, this week we are moving in, it's, it's a lot more plastered than that, and there's a lot more sound equipment, we, were, we have, there's a guy, Ian Watt, who a lot of you guys don't know, but he's from Antrim, Antrim have backed us in, in many ways, more than you realise, and, and we, we love what those guys do, John, what he does, some of you know John as well. But Ian was down last night to like half 11, 12, soldering, doing bits and pieces, the stuff that nobody ever sees because it's in a stage, and you know, you, you hear it because, well, you hear the sound and what we get to do in worship, but this room, uh, I'm so excited for getting into it, and, and next week we won't be in that room, okay? There is a, a bar and restaurant. Now, the bar's gone, obviously, but the restaurant, I don't know if there's a photo of it, but we will meet in the restaurant side of things, okay? We'll have a portable system. It's just because, yes, that's a partition wall. We'll meet in that restaurant. Not in that small room, but you'll, you'll see when you arrive. And it's just because we want to make sure that we don't want to be setting up and tearing down, setting up and tearing down. We still probably have about two or three weeks just for the, the main room needs painted, not only is there custard, but there's salmon pink on the beams, so I'm not really about salmon pink. And uh, we want to paint that, but you can't put the carpet tiles down until you paint them, so it's a bit like one thing's waiting on another, so we're really just pressing for that. So I would say for the first two, at most three Sundays in July, we'll be in the restaurant. So it'll be a change of scenery, nice, the best big windows and bay windows, so you'll get, you know, to, to bring the outside in. But I, I do encourage you, from Monday to Friday... You know, if you have a van, if you even have a bike, we will give you a box to put on your back and bring over, okay? So I would encourage you just come, you know, if you can't come at six, go to the new building and see if there's anything needs unloaded or we'll send you this way and bring things over. But just need all hands on deck. I don't fully know where we're putting all the stuff, but it's a bit like when you're moving house, we'll figure it out. So we've got to do that. But it's really exciting just, you know, just to... I mean, this time last year, we didn't even, well, we did know this time last year that we were getting a new building, but it's all sort of happened and it's been pretty crazy. So it's really exciting for that, okay? So please do come. If you're just joining us and you're, you're a visitor, again, gone fishing. It's not Finding Nemo, okay? We're not doing a plug for Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, but uh, it's, I just want to finish off our, our series on gone fishing, okay? Just because we are entering into the summer period, which we will have like Christine announced, our iHeart I Week. And again, if you haven't got a chance, if you want to be involved, whether it's kids or whether it's the youth in the evening, we really want to um, reach out to a lot more of our young people in our town. If you are here and you can tolerate teenagers 
I want you, Nikki's not here, she's actually living it up in Texas at the moment, but um, if you want to come, we need, Nikki needs a team around her, and I know you may be there thinking, I've been there, done that, wear the t-shirt, I can't do, we're not going to do, get you to do any lock-ins, okay, like we stay overnight with them, but, you know, we just need to develop a bit of a team around that, because it's, I, I know how to get young people in a room, but we need a team in order to disciple them, so again, if there's a remote aspect of you that just wants to maybe do once a month or something, just to, to be, you know, crowd control then please come and chat but with that being said if you haven't done and you want to be involved in iHeart at any capacity we've access NIs Edwin gives a wave I need you to come okay because we're already on the final stages but I want you to come see Edwin afterwards and we'll maybe he doesn't have the forms because I just announced that there now but we'll get you all the things you need to do in order to, to be involved in that okay but look, come around that week it's usually good fun we're not going to be doing necessarily street parties every night like we did last year that was on steroids I mean it was a bit mental so we will do a bit of a, a change of tack but we just to let you know the council have requested that we go to Dunleith and do the big family community fun evening that we did last year and um, there's a 5k fun run which I know some of the runners in the room might be might be doing but um, they wanted us to, to partner so it'll be thousands about so we need all hands on deck on that but that'll be more announcements for a later date just because I'm firing it all at you okay so anyways any questions, sign up for Church Suite, get on our email system, we'll get it all out to you because you really can't do it all justice uh, in, this, in this short window, okay? So go on fishing, hands up who here loves fishing? Nobody, okay. Michaela loves fish, I don't know if she likes fishing, but she's on not oh, You like fishing, okay. So last week, George was preaching, all right, and he, he made a big confession, all right? He made a big confession that he does not, he hates fishing, okay, he... He hates fishing, just to, if you didn't catch that in the podcast, all right? And what he'd done was he asked me, he says, you know, Thomas, do you even like fishing? Because I preached the, the week or two before. And I was like, actually, I don't really like fishing. But I want to let you know, I didn't make up the story when I was seven or eight, all right? I just thought, I started to write my sermon last week when George was preaching, because I thought I need to clarify a few things. Um, when I was seven, eight, just so you don't know, uh, I went with my dad, we went fishing, and he did the whole fluke thing. I liked the, I liked the action. But I caught like a seven or eight pound, I think it was a brown trout or something. And uh, it was great, it was a great story. Go back two weeks and you'll hear all about it. But it was a true story. But as I was thinking about it, I don't like fishing anymore, by the way, okay? I like fish, but I don't like fishing. And it really got me thinking, sometimes in life, we, ha we, can, we can love something at one season in our life, but then we can grow to not love it anymore. You know, like me, I, I loved fishing for a really short window when I was seven or eight. And then now I don't like it. And it really got me thinking because, you know, all of us, there's things that we, we love in our life at one stage and then we no longer love. Like, for example, I, I used to love red sauce growing up as a kid and now I detest it. I asked Hannah, was there anything that she, she loved but she couldn't quite remember? Anybody remember or feed your kids potato waffles? The wee small things that are definitely of no nutritious value at all. I used to love them and now can't stand the taste of them, right? And as trivial as those things may be, for all of us, and in fact, for some Christians, the same thing is true for their spiritual lives. At one season in their life, they, have, they had a love for Jesus, they had a, a passion for Jesus, that, that was all they could think about. They, they always were asking the question, how does God see my life? They're always thinking about, what, is, what does he say to be true? In fact, they always had an openness to go, do you know what, what does God want to do? Where does God want to lead me? But then life comes along and the focus change 
And all of a sudden, they lose that fire. They lose that love. And I want to ask, how is your love for your first love this morning? You see, in Revelation 2, 2 to 4, John's writing to the, church in, the seven churches in Asia. And in particular, in this uh, chapter, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says that even though you work, even though you've labored, even though you've patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, even though you've tested those who say they're apostles and they actually weren't and have found them to be liars, even though you've persevered and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary, nevertheless, this is the thing, having done all of those things, this is the thing that I have against you. You have left your first love. And that's what I want to look at this morning. You see, how many of you know that Christians have become more known for what they're against and have lost more knowing that what they're for? Christians in our culture have become more known for what they're against than rather, in fact, I would say, who they're for. You see, they're keepers of truth, which isn't bad. They've stayed firm in believing the, the truth of the gospel even during hard times. But something's happened along the way that they've lost the living relationship the active following of the one who it's been all about all along. You see, they've settled for knowing that they've lost the art of being able, of relating. That there's a difference between knowing and becoming. In fact, in the whole, what we see in Revelation 2 is that a church has become settled of knowing and staying in between the hedges, which isn't bad, but they've, they've settled for the message, they've settled for the law that they've lost the relationship. In fact, out of forgetting and keeping their first love, they forgot that that's where all the fruit, that's where all the favor, that's where all the influence to reach our communities comes from. How many of our communities need to know truth? Our culture needs to know truth when they don't even know what truth is and they define it themselves. But the church can't just stop at giving truth, it also has to lead them to the one who is truth. And that's what we see as the subtle differences as we look at this gone fishing, that we don't just go, right, okay, I know all the ABCs, the Christianity and theology and doctrine, which is vitally important, particularly in a, in, a, in a town that we're in. But actually, there's something about when we maintain, when we keep and we get back to our first love. That's my question is, how is your love for your first love this morning? And because when we do that, when we grab hold of what John is talking about in Revelation, is we will understand that we will have more fruit and more influence within our community. In fact, Revelation goes on to say that if you don't do this, I will take your lampstand from you. The lampstand was the church, was the influence within that context. And if you're taking notes, you see, those who keep their first love will grow in their love for his fish. Now, you may be here thinking, I don't like fish, so this sermon isn't for me, okay? It's metaphorical if you haven't got the, the picture. <laughs> Those who keep their love for their first love will grow in their love for his fish. In fact, those who love and actually spend time with Christ, they catch the love. They catch the love that he has lost for a wandering society. You see, our society wanted to find what love is, and it's the acceptance of their sin. Actually, that's not what love is. In fact, when we spend time with him, we catch what true love is. We catch the heart of God for a people and a place. And we can walk in the same, not only nature of his power, but also the love and the mercy that's needed to bring him into an encounter with him. 
I remember I was probably not long a Christian. I was maybe, in fact, I was, it was in the transition of when I was leaving school. And I remember asking the question, I'm a mad Liverpool fan, so I was either going to go to live in Liverpool to watch Liverpool all season or I was going to go to somewhere warmer. And I remember in this season when I was thinking about do I, <coughs> do I study here or do I go abroad and all those wee trivial thoughts in your mind. And I remember looking at this town going, God, like there's nothing here. When, you grow, when you're born and bred in a town like this, you know, they go, there's, no, there's nothing good about this area. You know, it's just, it's a small rural local area that really what is there, what's got it going for it. You know, when you hit 18, all of our young people, they move on for education, for travel, for whatever it may be. And I remember in this time, the Holy Spirit, in, in retrospect, I'm able to put language to it now, but in that moment, there was maybe a wee bit fuzzier. And I remember, again, no credit to my own, but I remember the Holy Spirit asking me this question. He says, ask me how I see this town. He just said, ask me how I see this town. Because I was believing the narrative that Down Patrick's, it's a dump. Nothing good comes from it. You know, there's no prospects. There's, no, there's nothing for it. You may as well, you know, the, the best road in it is the road out of it, right? I know they only say that about Lurgan or other places, but, you know, it's true about Down Patrick. And he says, ask me how I see this town. Can I tell you something? I was, it was a trick question. It's a dangerous question. That's the question I want to give you this morning. That when we ask the Holy Spirit, how does he see a person or a place? It is a dangerous question. And all I could describe in my language is that when I began to ask that question, my mindset shifted. Not instantly, but over a period of time, I began to fall in love with a place that I couldn't wait to get out of. Not an airy-fairy, like, oh, because really, to be honest, there's still a lot more that could be done for it. But I began to see his heart for this people, for this community. I began to see God's perspective over an area. In fact, it's one of, this question is one of the primary questions of why I felt called to be a pastor, to be a ministry. In fact, not many know this, but I really, you know, in this time, I actually believe I'm a, I'm a missionary to this town. Now I'm born and bred, I literally haven't left. I've lived in two houses, if that. The one of my parents and then the one I moved out to get married into. And I believe God calls us to be missionaries to our communities. You see, in a place where people will say there's no future, it's deprived, and this area has high levels of social deprivation, brokenness, that God sees brokenness he wants to heal, redemption he wants to build, and a light he wants to use to confound the areas all around. God wants to use you to see, because he's brokenness he wants to heal, there's redemption story he wants to write, and light he wants to use to confound other places around. That's the question that I want you in your time to ask the Holy Spirit. In every situation and every scenario of your life, that if you have an internal narrative that is not of hope, of redemption, and of light, it's not his narrative. You have to then begin to go, Holy Spirit, how do you see this moment? You know, Christine had a word about faithfulness and pressing into the faithfulness of God. And if you don't have hope, if there's any area of your life that isn't filled with hope, it's under the influence of a lie. We have to ask God, how do you see this area of my life? How are you looking at this? Now, it may not mean that he, some things he, he might want to take away, some things he might want to remove, but we ask, what is your perspective? And when we look at our communities, when we, we will say, I've been there, I've done that. In fact, I might have used this strategy of outreach, or I might have done you know, this way of kids ministry, and to be honest, only a handful get saved. 
I've dug kids ministry and I've got more greys than I've seen salvations. I've more grey hairs on my head than I have seen people give their life to Jesus. And we have all of these narratives because hope deferred does make the heart sick. But what happens is if we've been around the block in church ministry and, you know, summer programs and we haven't really seen what we've been expecting, we will lower our expectation levels. But can I tell you something? That's not what we have the luxury to do. Instead, what we do is we look to iHeart 2023 or we look at some of the things we're doing with the new building and, other, and all the other things to come. Instead of just looking to our past experience and going as a reference point to say, well, do you know what? I'll leave that to the, the kids workers. I'll leave that to Janine to do. I'll, I'll leave that to Nikki to do. Do you know what? Because I know it's just a babysitting service. See if that's the narrative. That you're actually participating with the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of light. And I'm, you may be thinking, well, you're using spiritual guilt right now. Maybe. But it's more than that. Because when we ask God, how do you see, we, we move ourselves from a place of what we understand to new levels of hope and of faith. But the problem is, churches can believe, can see their gatherings as huddles. You see, the gathering of the church during the week or on a Sunday is like a team huddle in a football game or whatever sport you do, but where they huddle. And in this huddle, they cheer their team on. They test their thinking against their peers. They grow and they learn on how to apply this in the actual game. But see, the problem is, many Christians in our country, they think the huddle is the actual game. Many Christians think when they're in the team huddle at halftime, that's, that's where Christ has died for them to live. And they go, this game's great. We're all encouraging each other. This game's fantastic. You know, oh, you think as I think, you do. But, you know, oh, we're all in the same... Revival's happening. No, it's not. What we're talking about, what we're praying about in our huddles is important. It's where we encourage each other. It's where we go, what I think about God. Hannah, do you think the same thing? Edwin, you know, and we test our thinking. The huddle's important. But it's not where the game actually is. It's the end game. And what Christ has died is so that we would go in the huddle, we would test, we would do that when we gather with each other, and then we go out into the field. And we actually play the game. But the problem is, a lot of Christians, they like to huddle. Because it's easy. And it's safe. And it's their comfort blanket. And we stay there because it's like, you know, it's like, hey, I'll pray for you. Now, again, if you're called to intercessory prayer, I'm not, that, that's different. But you can, inter, you can intercede on the, on the front line too, you know. And, and there's something about when we, when we stay in the huddle and we just use all of our excuses and all the defense mechanisms. By the way, I use them too, so we're all in the same boat. And what we do is we look ahead to, to the summer, we look ahead to our programs and we go, no, I'm, I've been there, done that, wore the t-shirt, and we excuse. Instead, we don't realize that God wants to use you to do what might be a new thing or the impossible. But then do you know what? See, on the flip side, there's some people that will love that I say, because like, in some ways it seems like I may be saying the huddle isn't a good thing. And, you know, that actually you're better going out and, and doing all the things. Because there's some Christians who will also avoid the huddle because they're avoiding accountability. In fact, there has to be a balance. A bit like a heartbeat. Where you go into the huddle, you, you refine your thoughts, you get encouraged, you hear the Lord, you, you, you minister to each other, and then you go out. Because a lot of Christians, they avoid the huddle because they've been hurt. Because they like, I'll tell you this, when you avoid the huddle, you're at risk of writing your own gospel. It's the gospel according to Raymond or the gospel according to Michael. In fact, 
That's not what that's about. And it's important that we get in the huddle and we step out of the huddle because we've got to refine our thinking. We've got to learn from each other. Because see, if you don't test your, your belief systems against other people, you develop what we call idiosyncratic thoughts. And what that means is it's just thoughts that are unique to me and how I view the world. But we're not called to lean on how we view the world. We're called to learn from each other. And when you develop idiosyncratic thoughts, guess what you become? You become odd. Your personality becomes odd. Your understanding becomes odd. And Christians, as we step out, we're not called to be odd. We're called to be different. And as we begin, and that's why it's important that in, in, the, in the busyness of life, that we continue, as we, we can't reach this community of our own strength. We need each other. But equally, we don't stay in the huddle. We go out. There's a balance. And secondly, keeping our first love keeps us from going back to what we loved before him. See, like I said, many Christians are no more for what they're for than rather who are more than what they're against than who they're for. Because when life comes, they lose sight and they slip back into what's familiar. And over the process of the sermon series, we've been looking at different times, you know, of when the disciples were fishing and when Jesus came back into the, the scene. And, and I don't really have time just because of the time now, but in John 21 gives us another account. And it's an account after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He appears to, to some of the disciples in different contexts, whether it's Mary Magdalene seeing him at the, the empty tomb or doubting Thomas or when they received the Holy Spirit. And John 21 shows us that when the disciples, they were out all night, they were working overtime, they went back to the places that they were familiar with. But you know what? It tells us they were yielding the same mundane results. In fact, I'll show you the account that says, Jesus says this, friends, haven't you any fish? As if that was an obvious question. No, they answered. Then he said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So when they did, listen, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. We, when we lose sight of our first love, we slip back in, in our brokenness to our old ways of thinking, our old ways and patterns of behavior. But you know what's really interesting? Is that when we be intentional about setting aside time to follow Christ or to walk in the Spirit, guess what happens? Even in the most mundane of circumstances, you can achieve miraculous results. Even in the most mundane of situations, through the power of God, you might be able to achieve miraculous results. Because you won't move many mountains in our lives by holding on to what's familiar and what's comfortable. In fact, George last week spoke about everything changes when we get over ourselves. I mean, that statement is profound. Do you know you are your biggest obstacle to seeing the power of God move in your life? That should encourage you. You're thinking, what? That encourages you because it's not anybody else in your way. It's you. It gives you power back because you look in the mirror and go, you're my best asset, but also you're my biggest problem. We're going to sort this out. Instead of the help-rejecting complainers that just put it on everybody else. 
And it's by leaving our old ways, our old nets, our old patterns of thinking and belief systems and relying on the leading of the Spirit that we will step in to the impossible. But the issue is, the church has lost its hunger for the impossible. We've got content with the possible. That we've lost our hunger for the impossible. Do you know it's impossible for this community to understand who Jesus is without Jesus revealing it to them? We need to pray that God will pour out his spirit. It's impossible for this community to see any difference in you without the spirit of God moving in you. Do you know what? It's impossible for you to step out in courage and in faith and in power to, to see signs, wonder, and miracles fall that makes our community wonder and doubt their own disbelief in Jesus without the power of God moving through you. That's what we got to do. The church has got comfortable and relying on its own ability. We have to get a hunger and a fresh hunger for the impossible again. Are you dreaming about thousands of people coming to know Jesus this July? Are you dreaming to see people who are in wheelchairs stand up and walk? People with deaf ears, are you dreaming about those things that God can do? That make, and then it, it's a sign that points them to the person that can do an even greater work on the inside. We've got comfortable. Why? Because we've, we feel like we've got it all. I have next day delivery. I have entertainment on demand. I've got, I'm comfortable. I don't need the impossible. But that's something that we've got to shake. If we're going to see, do you know that building? It'll just become another community hub and a normal one but we're not here by building a normal community hub. We're here to build a hospital where the sick can come and get transformed and go out, tell other people, and then they can come get transformed. And all of a sudden we have this rule or this um, movement of inertia where there's this momentum that happens that is called revival. But it starts with our first going, am I content with the normal? I want to ask you, are you content with normal? Okay, nobody answered me. Are you content with normal? We gotta, we gotta do something. You gotta shake yourself. I don't know, you gotta stand on your head if you need to. If you need to get your spouse to, you know, give you a good flick in the nose or something, just, I don't know, I was being tame on that one, but like maybe a bit harder. Shake out the, this belief that it's okay to be normal. It's okay to be, yeah, do you know, it's just comfortable living the, the dream. Can I tell you, we, when we recapture our first love, we recapture his heart to move in the impossible. It's what we got to do. And I am guilty of it when we just get through building projects, when we just get through the mundane of life. We got to, it's like we got to just jump in a, a cold bath and just shock ourselves and go, do you know what? This isn't normal. This is not the life I'm going to settle for. Because when I read the scripture, guess what will happen? We'll either go, that was for then. Or we'll go, do you know what? This is for now and my now has to change. I got to change. Because those who keep their first love, they smell like fish. <laughs> those who keep their first love, they smell like fish. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you why. When I was growing up, at the back of my house, this, guy, this, this guy's name was actually Simon and he was a fisherman. I'm not making this up, George. All right, it's true. And he's a deep sea fisherman. And we, ever, we never really saw him because he lived on the seas, you know. Um, and when you would be in the shop, you would know he's walked into the shop because you can smell him before you see him. 
and the smell was too strong. And he smelled the fish. But this is the thing. Simon caught the smell because he worked in the middle of the sea. He worked where the fish were. He didn't work in a zoo or, well, maybe an aquarium, but he worked in the middle of the sea. He was lifting the fishing crates. He was unloading the catch and he was sorting it all for shipping. Simon was in the middle of the fish. And he'd done what I think he maybe loved doing, but he worked at a dangerous job. And it was people like Simon that allow you and I to, to enjoy our variety of fish. He's out doing the hard work. But listen to this, Simon wouldn't have smelled like fish if he sat at a distance and if he watched other people catch the fish. Simon wouldn't smelt like fish if he sat at home just talking about fishing and reminiscing about the times he did fish. Simon caught the smell because he was in the game. He, he caught the smell because he was in the game. He was where the fish were. Now you may be here thinking, I can't swim. Again, it's metaphorical. And there's a smell within our community that God wants us to catch. Now what I'm not saying is that you become like your community and you forget who you really are because we're, we're citizens of heaven, sojourners on this earth, that we want to see this earth become like heaven. There is a difference, but there's a smell because I'll put it like this. I wonder if Jesus had a smell. Think about it. Jesus would have smelled like wood chippings because he was a carpenter. He would have, I mean, maybe that's just me and I don't know, I'm like off on a, but maybe he smelled like fish because he stepped in and out of so many different boats preaching and calling people to follow him. Maybe he smelled like spices because he sat around tables eating the people. These are mundane, everyday smells. But what they did, they paved the way for a supernatural smell of the room of the presence of God breaking into every environment. God is not about you not smelling like the natural. He's like, when you smell like the natural, he comes in in a supernatural and transforms the people around you. How many of you know the people in our communities, they want to know what you smell like? You don't smell like me. Who are you? But Jesus move through rabbinic culture, through Jewish cultures, so profoundly, not to forget who he was, but so that when people came along, there was less barriers between him and the people. And what he did was he began to, as they were subconsciously sniffing him, they actually began, through the, the smell they knew, they began to smell something different. There's something different about this man. There's something different. He has something that I want. And what we got to do is we got to be people that get in. Do you know South Down, this area, it has a particular smell. And it's not, okay, I'm not being harsh, but it's not middle class Protestant, all right? <laughs> if you haven't realized. And I'm not here to, I mean, you can be in the culture debate all day long. But the, I, we have to think like missionaries. Because we are no longer at the center of society, okay? We're no longer, people are not coming to church anymore. They've got apps and they've got everything that they believe is truth. But what they have to do is, what you have to do is you have to begin to reach out into them in a variety of contexts. You may be thinking, I don't know how to do that. Well, iHeart's a good place to start. And they want to come along. And what happens is when they, see when, see when they begin to smell you and, and, and they go, you're a bit like me, they trust you in ways that you wouldn't believe. I'm reluctant to share too much stories, but some of the tradespeople in our um, not the tradespeople, James. No, James really has a lot of sanctification on that front with them. 
as a joke. But there's one of them. Again, case they just listen, but some of the conversations we've had, because I smell a bit like him. I was from a Catholic nationals background. You know, and he's like, you smell like me, but you're not like a traditional pastor. I'm like, yeah, nothing about our church is normal. And all of a sudden he's opening up and he's, at, he's like, oh, I'm saying Jesus a lot these days. Now, sometimes it is in vain, but there's other times it comes upon his lips. And all of a sudden there's these conversations that you're going, ah, just because, and it's not out of my own doing. I mean, I can't really change where I came from, but as you share your story, it's, but can I tell you something? This isn't just about us or the elders. It's about you. You have to first know what you smell like and then also the people you're with and surrounded, what they smell like. Every single person in this room, bar one or two, are really, we're all outsiders, let's be honest. And that means that when we have this conversation, we know, okay, what does this town smell like? I'm not going to tell you at all, by the way, you have to discover it. Because you're first going to go home, do your homework, and you're going to ask, Holy Spirit, how do you see this town? You're going to catch a holy burden that he's going to convict you to be able to go out and go, okay, what's the smell of this town? And then when you do that, you're going to then go, okay, leading by the Holy Spirit, and you will see people. I'm giving you, it's not an X, Y, Z, but I'm telling you, so many churches want people to come and smell like them. But can I tell you something? There's some bad smells in churches. And this is, I don't know, Chris and the guys can go back up. But how many know doing life with the local people isn't always glamorous? The huddle's a lot more glamorous. But when you're out in deep sea fishing, it's messy, it's scary. I'm not building you a glamorous picture, by the way. I do encourage you, ask that question with caution. Don't ask it if you're not willing to lose things. Because if people like Simon stayed at home, or any fisherman stayed at home, instead of choosing to get stuck in, there would be no catch. What makes you think the same thing doesn't apply to our communities? If the church stays at home and doesn't get in the game and doesn't go to catch, who's going to catch the fish? Because Jesus tells us there's, a, there's abundant swimming in the stream, ready to be caught. But we can't settle for just not only believing the right things and avoiding the ditches, because we will grow cold in our love for God and his people. Instead, we have to get back to our first love. How is your intimate time with Jesus? How's your alone time with Jesus? I'm not here to, to judge. That's, I, I know how hard it is when you're busy. But ask God to keep, help you get back to keeping your fire alive in him. Because it's when you keep your fire alive, when you have that anointing and the spirit of God flowing in your life, I can tell you, favor will come, influence will come, the power will come. Jesus didn't call us out of the world to live in a safe huddle. He wants to use the huddle to encourage you to continually step out, to get back in the game. Because like I said, south down, down Patrick, it has a particular smell. But how much of you want to catch it, it's up to you. A lot of Christians fear catching the smell of a community because they're not secure in who they are in Christ. They don't know their identity. But when you get back to your first love, you will be so firm in who you are. Or if you are struggling with insecurity, come speak to Anne and myself. I can tell you, God will do a work in you that you will get security in a way that you will be like Jesus. You can step in and out of everybody's boats, context, variety of ways. 
And you'll not let people's own insecurities become your own, but instead you will be. Because guess what? Our community, they're looking for leaders. Now, they're not just looking for church leaders. All, all of you are called to be leaders, okay? You might not get the mic. Trust me, you don't want it. But instead, you may be able to lead in certain capacities. This is only 3% of the Christian life. It all happens out there. And this is what we're called to do. Because the more you can smell like them, not becoming like them, but smell like them, the more influence you'll have to speak truth into their lives. People want to look at the white in your eyes and go, who is this person? Remember, if you don't, beyond the smell of culture, if you don't have the smell of Christ on the inside of you, love walk by. We have to get back to our first love. We have to get back to intimacy with Jesus. We have to get back to going, okay, it's not all just about knowing the rules and keeping them, and that's part, but it's about what Revelation 2 tells us. He says, this is the thing I have against you. In fact, John looked across the church. Jesus, the Spirit of God, looked across the church and says, you're doing all X, Y, and Z, that's great, but that's not what I've been looking for. I've been looking back, do you love me? And what you'll see in John 21 as it goes on, breakfast by the sea, Jesus restores Peter and he asks him those questions. Do you love me? Peter's like, of course I do. He says, go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? I want to ask you, for the sake of your life, how much are you in love with Jesus this morning? Not just talking about feeling, I'm talking about are you setting aside time? Are you getting into the secret place in the midst of everything else you have to do. So why don't we stand? And we're going to pray as we, as we close. There is a lot that we could have said, but there's also a lot of opportunities over the next while. Don't sit at home dreaming about what can be done. Come off the, off the edges. Get involved. Don't be a radiator hugger. But come on in. Be involved in the huddle as we go but then also be inspired how you can step out because your destiny your life exists on the outside of your comfort zone by the power of the Holy Spirit you can do immeasurably more than what you could dream and what you could ask for and so I encourage you to go to the throne room of heaven this morning as we close and the rest of your day and ask the Holy Spirit Show me how you see me. Show me how you see this town. Show me how you see church life. Show me what it should be like. Holy Spirit, we just right now, if you want to receive, open up your hands. Close your eyes and as the, as the guys begin to play. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. God, would you give us a holy burden for this town? A holy burden for our communities, for our neighbours. Will we catch the love that you have? You're a redemptive God. You're a restorative God. You're a God of transformation. The fact that your presence that transforms communities one life at a time. And so Father, this morning, we step into the game. We make ourselves available. And don't make yourself available if you're not willing to step out. And if there's things that are holding you back, then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things. It's fear, anxiety, whatever it may be. There's nothing to be ashamed of those, but I can tell you right now, you can only overcome that which you'll face. So Father, this morning, I, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, 
would you do a deep work on all of us that we would see you catch a great catch in this area a harvest God that Jesus would give you your full reward that many would come to see that you are good that you are faithful that their lives would be transformed that their everyday life would be would be radically better because you're in it that God that they don't have to live in a state of hell but they can live in a state of heaven on this earth so Father we pray your kingdom come your will be done in this land as it is in heaven we commission your people this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit that we will go knowing that you're faithful to us that you lead us God that we, you want to give us boldness you want to give us courage that as we get in the game God and we catch people for you as they would catch the love of God that you have for them so Father we pray would there be an outpouring of revelation revelation outpouring in this place share it back up Father we just pray Spirit touch our minds touch our hearts come right now God show us what you see show us as a church God how you see our lives how you see the possibilities of your church you're not dead you're alive Jesus you're not afraid you're a roaring lion Jesus and you want to come and you want your church to be a roaring lion for you so Father we prophesy right now by Holy Spirit come and encountering your people this morning Lord God, that the church would be on the move. That your kingdom would come in power and in glory. That your glory would fill the earth. That people would wake up and see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That they've been living asleep. They've been living in lie. But Father, this morning, that by your grace, you would awaken them to your truth. That your, your flow would make them white as snow. Your anointing would just wash away shame, guilt, a sense of sinfulness. Father, we pray this morning that your rain fall upon this place. That your, your rain, your monsoon rain wash away the dirt, the muck and the mire that we've got so stuck in. And Father, I pray by the power of your spirit and an angel host, God, would you would raise up clean hands and pure hearts for you. That they would become, as they live in shame, accuser of emotions Father we pray that your people who are here but not yet here will be free we just we just prophesy freedom in this place freedom in this next season that the wind of freedom come upon this land because Jesus you are who you say you are we may not feel it but right now we move from our feelings and we step into the spirit and say this is who you are you're faithful you're good we recall right now how you've moved in the past you might not do it the same way but you're still the same nature you want to transform you want to redeem so Father I pray as we move into this next building as we move into this next season as we reach out I pray God will be bold in a culture that doesn't want us to proselytize God we're willing to die the people know your good news, who you are and what you do. We will die relationally to know that it's all worth it because you want to come and transform. We will not be censored. Your gospel message will not be censored. The truth of who you are will not be censored because they say that's politically not correct. God, you're not politically correct. In fact, God, you define the political system. You define all truth on all margins in our lives. But God, we don't go with a battering ram. God, we go in love. 
that we would see people doubt their disbelief in you. God, we go. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to know that we move in smart strategies. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to move in every situation, every circumstance. We would look between the lines. When somebody's trying to catch us out, we play them at the game, but we realize it's a bigger game of play. Father, we pray right now. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this without you. We go in the missionary mindset because you love this land. You want to bring it back to you. You want to transform it from the inside out. You want this place to look like heaven because Jesus, you died so that heaven can come to earth by your spirit. So Father, we pray right now, even now in this moment, would you convict us to get over ourselves because when we get over ourselves, everything changes. So Father, this morning, we put our waders on, we grab our wee telescopic rods, our floats and our fly hooks and whatever else we need, knowing that you have everything we need. And so, Father, we step in. And it might be messy, we might get wet, but God, we don't take ourselves too serious. We lay our reputation down on the altar of your kingdom coming through us. That we may not look wise to the world, but we will be wise in your eyes. So, Father, this morning I pray, would you do something in us, Holy Spirit, that as we ask you that dangerous question, how do you see this town? How do you see the next season of Journey Down, Patrick? How do you see this building? And God, we pray that your power would break out, that we'd be willing, needed vessels. In Jesus' name, let's all worship.